ESPN's Emmy award-winning 30 for 30 documentary film series presents the greatest mixtape ever. The story of how a series of streetball videos set to music in the 90s transformed basketball's place in the culture, defined the lives of the players who starred in those videos, and changed the game itself forever. Stream now on ESPN+. And listen to the Companion 30 for 30 podcast, a streetball mixtape exploring the essence of streetball through a collection of legendary stories. Listen now on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to... The Low Post Podcast on a Friday morning. The NBA Finals are underway, and I am still recovering, shell-shocked, dazed from the Boston Celtics delivering an absolutely hellacious fourth quarter, 40-16, to 16, running the Warriors out of their own building, which I still refer to as Oracle, even though it's not Oracle, it's not even the same city as Oracle. An absolute just punch right to the face. The Celtics take home court advantage. They take a 1-0 lead. And if I'm a Warriors fan, you can look at this one of two ways. You can say, well, they hit 21 threes. Al Horford, career high six threes. Marcus Smart, four of seven. Derek White, five of eight. The three of them combined, 15 of 23. They'll never do that again. That's a fluke. That's a just lucky shooting game and yeah Tatum was 3 of 17 but he compensated with 13 beautiful assists he didn't play that badly we got this and if I'm a Celtics fan I'm saying well hold on hold on hold on hold on 3 of 17 is a bad game you guys shot 19 of 45 from three it's not like you guys were some slouches from three we just beat your ass we wore you down with our size our defense, once we got through the inevitable first 10 minutes of like, what the hell do we do against this offense? Where's Steph? Oh, we lost him again. Oh, Marcus Smart is yelling at everybody. Oh, my God. Once we got through that, you couldn't figure us out, and you're not going to be able to figure us out going forward. To help us understand which of those reactions is correct, we have, and oh, my God, are we lucky. The one and only, the Hall of Famer, calling this series on ESPN Radio with Mark Kestisher and PJ Carlissimo, Doris Burke. What's up, DB? Oh, my goodness, Zach. I am so excited to be with you. And I have to tell you, I feel so incredibly lucky to be calling this series. I think you felt it. I think everybody at ESPN who works on this, you know, bond temps go down the line of our incredible group of people. I think we expected the series had the potential to be special. And I'm just going to talk about that Warriors crowd for one second, because it felt to me, and let's remember that this is a knowledgeable basketball crowd, right? Through all those lean years in Oakland, when those fans showed up and were passionate, to me, when the Boston Celtic absorbed that, that barrage of threes from Stephen Curry in the first quarter, um, and the game was still tight, and you knew that the Boston Celtics would find their footing because they found their footing through everything all year. I almost felt like there was this dawning realization in the chase center, like, holy, we've got a, we've got a, we've got an opponent who is tough, um, who is well coached, uh, who is up for the challenge. And, uh, you know, certainly the third quarter performance, which has, you know, been the Golden State Warriors, um, probably, you know, enhanced their confidence. I don't know where to begin with what has impressed me the most about the Boston Celtics, Zach. I'll let you start with what impressed you the most, uh, and then I'll react to you. But 
that that fourth quarter, Jalen Brown sort of triggering that fourth quarter, um, it took the complete air out of the building. A loud, excited, confident crowd, just just like the Golden State Warriors. I'm going to say two things. Jalen Brown triggered it. And the most shocking thing to me, and I think I used on the radio cast, the Golden State Warriors looked shaken for a, a few minutes stretch of action. For the team that had the finals experience, game experience, by a wide margin, it was the Boston Celtics who responded in the fourth. Well, let's start with that then. Um, because as, as many of us predicted, the, what I call the Golden State knuckleball effect took effect in the first quarter where the Celtics, after dealing with three pretty basic Eastern Conference offenses, were suddenly presented with this whirring machine of cuts and movement, and they lost Steph like literally five times in transition, in the half court, blowing switches, wide open threes that you know you can't give him. And that was very predictable. That happens to every team in game one against the Warriors. The difference is that the Warriors rarely lose those game ones. They usually run away. And to me, if you want to start with, I agree. You said the name that I wanted to start with. Thank you, DB. All the attention on the role players, not role players. Al Horford's more than a role player at this point. Smart's obviously more than a role player. All the attention on their shooting. Jalen Brown only shot 10 of 23. Maybe it was the timing of those shots. Maybe it was how emphatic and confident he looked making both jumpers and drives late in the game. The drive specifically late in the game, one of which I want to talk about later. I just thought he was huge in stabilizing them. And if you want to, if you want to ask me where to start, the survival, the staying in touch, 47-37 second quarter, they're down 10. They're all confused with Curry. They go on a 10-0 run to tie the game. Now, obviously, they fall back behind in the third quarter, but that felt like an important moment to me. And Jalen Brown had a pull-up, I think, in Wiggins' face, a pull-up in Clay's face, and then Smart hit a one-pass-away three when Tatum posted up Curry on a switch. And the Warriors clearly came into this series saying, when Tatum has a Curry or a pool, maybe even Clay matchup, we're going to help liberally at the nail in your face, digging down off Smart, White, and Horford. And it's not just if they if they make enough shots, we tip our cap. We're not even letting them have those shots. The three that Smart hit in this situation was kick out one pass away. Wiggins is right there. Smart has to pump fake, sidestep, and make a three with a rear view contest. Like, that's not an easy shot. That's not a wide open, we gave it to you shot. That's the Warriors saying, we're not giving you shots. We're betting on our help and recover defense. That 10-0 run to me felt really big in the moment. And then they made another, it wasn't quite a run, but they made a few threes late in the third quarter. White hit one. Horford hit one in transition in the left corner, which I think was your side of the floor broadcasting it. Where yeah. they just, I couldn't tell if they lost him or they were confused about whether they were in zone or man, but they was just, nobody was on Al Horford which was not the only time that happened where they were like, is anyone going to guard this guy? He's shooting 43% on threes in the playoffs. Those little moments to set up the fourth quarter felt big to me, and Jalen Brown was a part of them. The other, the other thing, and we touched on this, PJ and I were talking about it, it's like Derek White hit some free throws down the stretch of that third quarter. They were massive. Those free throws, you, you bang in free throws that just, you know, take it from – you know, 14 to 12, it feels different. So you're right. And Jalen Brown triggers, 
the first 14 points. He rises up on a contested three, gets downhill. He sets his guys up. When you have your stars, uh, Jason Tatum is the focal point, but Jalen Brown's a star. I've always felt like when your stars steady you for that stretch of time, three to four minutes, not the, the Celtics are built with, with character people. Just both of these teams have high character guys that don't seem to wilt to the moment. It does settle you down. And one thing I was really struck by, and it's really fascinating to me to watch a 24-year-old go through this. How many times in Jason Tatum's career have we seen him knowing he's supposed to be the guy and being youthful and, and associating success with scoring? Maybe try to force a play. I've watched it through the early part of these playoffs. Try to force a play because he thinks he needs a bucket. Now, all of a sudden, he's going, well, I'm three for 17. Excuse me. I keep cursing. I don't um, care. I love it, DB. Be yourself. Be the Jersey Shore, deep summer <laughs> Jersey Shore in the 80s, DB. Let's bring it. <laughs> he's three for 17. He, he goes for uh, 13 assists, which which I think I read this in the, in the Athletic this morning. Actually bests. John Stockton, Michael Jordan, and Isaiah Thomas for uh, uh, assists in a finals debut. 13 assists from Jason Tatum. Um, and the thing that he's doing now to me is he's moving it quicker. He's, he's absorbing the double, and he's not holding it that extra half second. The smart uh, Tatum pick and rolls that seem to be allowing Marcus to get into a space where He's making all the right plays. I mean, there's just so many things that went right for the Boston Celtics. But to your point about White, Horford, and Smart, it feels to me that that's when, when my eyes look at the Boston Celtics, and I know the series is a long way from over, and I expect a champion's response from the, the Golden State Warriors. But just as a viewer, as a fan, when the others are making shots, I'm like, holy this Boston team feels pretty unbeatable when those guys have it going. And listen, can they sustain the three-point shooting? If you listen to the Golden State Warriors post game, in particular, Draymond Green, I'm not sure they believe it's sustainable. Well, I mean, look, 21 of 41 is obviously not sustainable. They're not going to shoot 50% on threes. Those guys are not going to shoot 15 of 23 on threes. And a lot of Jason Tatum's assists, I watched all 13 again this morning, were simple kick out passes, you're going to help on me at the nail off Derek White, off Marcus Smart, I'll just give them the ball and trust that they're either going to make a shot or make a play. And they made they made a lot of shots. I want to highlight a Jalen Brown play because you mentioned his fourth quarter. Ten points in the fourth quarter and just sort of like, he looked like he grew in stature. Like when he makes those pull-up jumpers in your face, it's like, oh yeah, I'm 6'8", I'm bigger than you. I'm just going to shoot in your face. And he had, they were going, Clay was on him for almost a lot of the game, but in this particular fourth quarter stretch, I thought Clay did all right on Jalen Brown, but they started hunting Otto Porter. And I don't remember who Otto Porter was guarding at that point, but they started having that guy screen for Jalen Brown. And he really hurt Otto Porter. Uh, he had one open catch and shoot three when Otto Porter kind of fell asleep ball watching uh, on Derek White's drive, I think. And then on another play, and this is the play that I, that I, that I sort of jolted back out of my seat. It was... Uh, a Jalen whoever pick and roll to try to get Otto and he rejected the pick so Clay was still on him but Clay fell a little bit behind he got faked out it was like seven and a half minutes left in the game and he drove middle and so here's Jalen Brown with a runway in the middle of the floor who's the last line of defense Draymond Green yeah and three or four times already in the game 
Draymond, who is the best one-on-two defender maybe ever. And had made several plays last night in that exact situation where he's got great feet, his arms are spread wide, and he's dancing, and he's making you think, and he's trying to make you unsure. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And and he got a steal out of that. He, in earlier, maybe even in the fourth quarter, it might have been late third, He Jalen Brown came down in this exact situation and tried to throw an alley-oop to Robert Williams, but either Rob wasn't expecting or it wasn't accurate, and that's what happens when Draymond gets in your head. You just you get confused. He's the best I've ever seen at stunting towards you, Yes. Getting back for the pass. Like, he's in your mind. And Jalen Brown on this drive said, F- all that. I'm going <laughs> right at you. I don't care who you are, where you are. And he laid it up. He did a scoop left-handed shot. And I'm like, here come the Celtics. They're learning. They're adapting. They've felt out the game a little bit. And they're growing in confidence. And that layup was like, wow. And the And the free throws by White at the end of the third quarter, I'm glad you brought that up because that transitions into something. Those happened because Jordan Poole bit on a Derek White pump fake, which you cannot do, and let him drive and score. And Jordan Poole in this game was... A team worst minus 19. On two of seven shooting with four turnovers in 25 minutes. Steph and Poole together were minus 13 in 16 minutes. And that brings me to the, the larger point of this game. Is you and I talked about this off air... Before the series, I wrote about it in my column. I was very interested to see how aggressively and how early Boston would go small. They've always preferred to play big with two of Grant and Robert Williams and Horford on the floor. But I thought in that Miami series, the offense just looked easier for Tatum and Brown. The reads were easier when the floor was open. And down the stretch, the entire fourth quarter, I think, they stuck with small ball. They they stuck with White and Pritchard a lot in that quarter. Pritchard was big. Um, in 15 minutes, I think he stayed on the floor. He made shots. He was actually kind of active on the glass as was white. Here's the stat of the game DB. And it's so crazy that I checked it like four times on two different computers in 16 minutes with one big man on the floor. Some of that was Horford. A little bit of it was Rob Williams, 16 minutes with one big man on the floor. The Celtics were plus 31 in 16 minutes. Plus wow. 23 in nine and a half minutes with Horford as the solo big man on the floor. And plus eight, I think, in six with Rob Williams as the only big man on the floor. That's the game. Those lineups yeah. worked. And I came out of this thinking the greatest small ball team in NBA history doesn't know what its small ball lineup should be because they're afraid to play pool and Curry together against this massive team, not a frame. I mean, they played them. They played them 16 minutes and it was a disaster. But if they, if, if pool can't impact the series on offense and they're going to destroy them on defense and he was terrible defensively, they now face the question, who's the answer to the fifth guy with Steph, Clay, Wiggins, and Draymond. And you and I can go through the answers. Um, but to me, if Boston is, is the better small ball team, the edge goes to them. I thought the Warriors would have some counters in terms of their small ball lineups and, and how they might match up against Boston. But look, it's easy to say, well, of course they can't play Poole and Curry together in this series. Boston's too big. Well, sure. But going back to when the Warriors finished 15-5 and five last year and sort of reestablished themselves as the Warriors, Poole plus Curry plus Green was a huge part of their identity. They were unbelievable in those settings. And Jordan Poole 
to me, like the fearlessness, fearlessness with which he's played, like he earned the trust of Steph and Draymond. This is why there are no meaningless minutes and opportunities in the NBA. That 15 and five run, the play in game where Jordan Poole did not bow to the moment. He was fearless. I thought he looked young last night. He looked and felt young for the entire 25 minutes he was on the floor, four turnovers. And just, I want to go back to your point about Pritchard because this is where, you know, the NBA is so unique in those little, you know, pockets of play that guys get. When And I love Peyton Pritchard. I love his fearlessness, his, his shot making, his willingness to, to compete defensively, even though they're going to hunt him every time. He checked into game seven and I, I looked at Mark Jones, who was then calling the radio with me. And I thought, I, I, I'm not sure he can play right here and right now. And sure enough, they lifted him after two minutes. And, and Zach, to be a young person and, and finding your way in your footing, to get lifted after two minutes and not come back in a game seven and go ahead and play in game one and do what Peyton Pritchard did, which is go, what did he go four for five or three for four? He went three for four. He was on the freaking glass, I think. And, and he provides a lift and he grinded. And I just, I love the mental fortitude that that shows. And anyway, I just, I was so impressed. And I'm going to tell you the one most shocking moment to me was a stretch of play. Now here comes Boston. Jalen gets them out, you know, does the, the impacts the first 14, the tide swings, the momentum's with Boston. And you, you found it for me. And you said it was about 250 left in the game. Four different guys had a look for three. Starting this with goes, Steph. Starting with Steph. And the ball just kept moving. Nobody wanted to take that shot. And I was absolutely shocked. I looked at PJ Carlos Moses to say, holy smokes, every single guy just passed that ball. And, uh, and I, it was a telling moment. Listen, they're champions. You know, guys that are three-time champions, I expect a big-time response, but just couldn't be more impressed by Boston. And and who do you think they go to? I thought it was interesting that Andre Iguodala gets 12 minutes, makes three or four shots. He's minus six, I get it. But is that Steve Kerr acknowledging that at some point, you know, he's got to be a part of this? So the possession you mentioned before we move on, yeah. That's the possession Steph turned his ankle briefly. He stayed in the game. It didn't appear to be anything. I'll chalk it up to that. And there were only, the, the, the game was teetering on the verge of over at that yeah. point. But yeah. that possession, you know what I thought of? I thought of Oklahoma City, Golden State, 2016. The, now, sorry, Thunder fans, this is PTSD for you. But um, <laughs> when, when, the, when the Thunder went up 3-1 in that series, you yeah. could tell that the Warriors, who are team skill – They've never been team athleticism or team size, their team skill, that they were overwhelmed and in basketball terms, scared, not scared, scared, but freaked out by the Thunder's size and leaping ability to the point that they were pump faking defenders who weren't even there. That's what that right. possession reminded me of. This huge yeah. team, wings, yeah. arms, everywhere is freaking us out. Um, who do they go to? It, as the fifth guy is what you're asking, along with yeah. the four core guys. Yeah. I think I think um, Boston going small, one effect of that was to kind of get Looney off the floor. 
Looney only played two and a half minutes in the fourth quarter. He had six of Golden State's 13, I think, offensive rebounds. He was huge. Without him, they had no offensive rebounding. And by the way, let me just interrupt you for one second. Stay on your point, though. Um, Horford had been beaten multiple times by Kavan Looney. Didn't look like himself early, I thought. And then steadied himself and was a monster. Anyway, continue. Six of 12 offensive rebounds. And I think the difference between the Warriors now and the Warriors of their heyday is it was clear back in the dynastic days that their centers were not among their five best players. So you take them off the floor, it's an automatic talent upgrade. If Poole can't survive defensively in this series, it's not clear anymore that Looney is not one of their top five players. And so going small becomes a little bit of a sacrifice for them. Andre, look, I love Andre. He's a genius. I thought he held his own defensively against Tatum. Offensively, there is just not a lot there. The Celtics are ignoring him completely. They don't care about his rolls to the basket. They don't care if he gets one little slip and drop off. They're just ignoring him. Um, Poole should be the answer. But again, we've talked about that. Gary Payton the second didn't play. That surprised me. Wouldn't shock me if Moses Moody got a shot at some point as a three and D kind of type. Um, the pool party lineup, which is the one we're talking about with pool as the fifth guy, three minutes minus nine. They've steered away from that lineup in the last two rounds of the playoffs. Yep. Is Otto Porter the most viable answer? But the Steph Clay Wiggins Porter Green lineup only played two minutes, and. I, I, Otto Porter made shots. He was fine. I just feel like I don't know if I want to ride with him that much. It wouldn't surprise me if we saw Moody, but I don't know what the answer is. I don't. I don't think it's like more, even more Iguodala though. This is this is where you know, and it's funny because I, you know, leading up to the series and ha- having not covered the West, leading up to the series, you know, you're keeping an ear open to where is Gary Payton the second in terms of his march back. And before we met with Steve Kerr prior to game one, I was thinking, okay, he'll be a part of this at some point. But then when I, when I spoke with Steve, you know, he kind of gave us the, he'll be questionable. um, And then, you know, you get the notice that he's going to play, but I didn't, not that it was anything overt Steve Kerr said, but I thought, Ooh, I'm less confident that he's prepared to play in this series. Um, And so that's interesting. And just to your point about um, the Celtics downsizing and sticking with it, there were so many moments where, and I wish I could remember, and I wish I had written down, but you don't necessarily have time. You know, there were so many times where Marcus Smart is guarding up and physically he's just so tough and strong and he's managing bigs and he's managing things all over the floor. And I'm thinking, this guy is something else. And you've written this. And, and I, there was one article you had written about the Boston Celtics defense that I just thought captured it where you were like, you know, they're big, they're strong, um, they communicate, they swallow you up. And Ime actually used that exact wording in like February. He said, it feels like sometimes we swallow teams up. They are just this juggernaut defensively. You know, when your starters give up 95.5 points per 100 possessions, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that. And, uh, and Derek White, I mean, here's a guy... I believe he was 31% in the regular season. 
you woke me up too damn early for me to have the stats in front of my face. I offered, I offered to push it off, DB. I offered to push it off. It was too late. You're already awake. If I with PJ Carlesimo, this wouldn't be a problem. But pizza and pasta at midnight is just gonna make me. See, groggy. I can't, I can't do that. If I start eating multiple dinners, it gets, it, the scale gets ugly fast. I, it's just too much fun, and you know you're gonna eat well and drink good with red wines. But, but whatever. But like, I don't know. I just. I forget where I was going with that, but just the the willingness of Derek White, who at times was three point shot shy, and something he said in the the Eastern Conference Finals where he said, and think about this acknowledgement. He said, "If I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail aggressively," and um, he's been everything you want. A guy who can be a secondary ball handler. Um, you can play him and pick and roll. If the ball finds him with open, sh- you know, you know, an open shot, he's not hesitating. Uh, they're they're making all kinds of conversations about how quiet this guy is. What is it about having a baby that all of a sudden these guys start to play their ass off? We've seen this before in the playoffs. Whatever, since his baby was born, Derek White is playing unbelievable basketball. Zach, what what's your take? Like. Uh, like Ime Odoka, there's this equanimity about this guy. And this is what I admire Equa- about both. Equanimity. equanimity. That means that's like even keeled, right? Yes, it does. I think one of the things I admire most about these two teams, you know, Boston and Golden State is they're, they're, both, they're both going to go back. They're going to look at this film objectively. They're going to look one another in the eye and they're going to say, this is where we failed. And we need to fix it. And there's nothing personal taken about it. And this is what this is what's required at this moment. And uh, I just have great respect and admiration for how they conduct their business on both sides. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Whatever Ime Udoka has done this season, he has just, just done a phenomenal job. Whether it's X's and O's, the way he changed their defense halfway through the season, going all in, not all in, but way more in than I expected on small ball in game one of the finals. 
yeah. not wasting any time, and just the general mindset of this team. Now, that can't all be attributed to Ime Odoka. I mean, these guys are veterans now. They've had painful losses in the playoffs. They're ready to win. They've all got their contracts. No one has to worry about their own individual stuff, blah, blah, blah. But this yeah. is a tough, resilient team. And I know they've had some ugly fourth quarter moments. I know they're a Jimmy Butler three away from at, having beyond uncomfortable questions asked of them in the offseason. But they didn't they don't dwell on on failures. They don't dwell on in-game runs that go against them. They're calm. They just keep playing. There's a certain toughness about them that I think he he has to get some credit for. I, he's done just an incredible job. And on Derek White at the I'm glad you brought that up. At the trade deadline, now look, the trade deadline is just a, a whir of insanity, but we're doing a, I was doing a podcast the, day, the night of the trade deadline, and we, we got to the white trade at the end. I think it was me and Bobby Marks. I said, you know, I, I get it for Boston. I don't love it. You know, it's a lot of draft equity. Not a lot, but it's a, it's a decent amount of draft equity. You know, they gave up their first this year and a swap right with San Antonio in 2028 that is only protected to top one. Like 2028 is a long time from now. That's kind of a dangerous – that's a dangerous, lightly protected asset to give up if it indeed kicks in. And I was like, you know, I, I get it. Derek White brings this sort of selflessness and quick hitting ball movement and cutting and screening, all that stuff they need. But, like, he's shooting 30% from three. Boston really needs shooting. They need shooters around Brown and Tatum. I'm not sure that I love it that much. I was like, eh, eh, on the trade. Dead wrong. And you know why I was dead wrong? Not because Derek White has suddenly started shooting it well. Like, he's going to go up and down. That's fine. The Celtics were 32-25 and 25 when they made that trade. Their surge was beginning because they were under 500 at, like, the 40-game mark. Their surge was beginning, but it was not super obvious that they were, like, a juggernaut in the making at 32-25. and 25. They had looked really good, but their schedule, I think they had won, like, 8 of 9, had been pretty easy. You couldn't, from the outside, just automatically conclude, this is a juggernaut waiting to happen. Internally, the Celtics thought we've figured something out and we think we're really, really good. And we view this Derek White trade not like you view it, Zach, in these sort of cold calculating like, oh, did they give up too much? Let's look at similar trades for similar players with the values. We view it as we might be able to win the championship. Wow. And this might be our one piece away if we have to overpay, quote unquote, a little bit. We don't care because we think we're that good. Similarly, the Kemba Walker plus a first-round pick for Al Horford in the offseason, I think to me, revealed the Celtics thought, yeah, we were 36-36 and 36 last year, totally disappointing. Danny Ainge left. Brad Stevens got a new job, etc. We're throwing that in the garbage. We think we're way better than that. We think that was injuries. COVID just nailed us. Chemistry was bad. We've had this organizational upheaval. We think we're way better. We're willing to pay a first-round pick for a guy who can help our team. And the white trade, whether they win or lose this series, the grade on the Derek White trade is A. I was wrong to be eh on it. It was A. They had a better sense of their team than I did, and they were right. Yeah. This is, um, this is where you have to have that internal feel. And you have to have the guts to make the move and the belief that you are that good. And just to Al Horford, you know, how many moments has this guy had? You know, I go back to 
uh, the Giannis moment where Giannis flexes on him after that transition play. Oh, it made him angry. You don't it see made, Al get angry that much. No, he, he too is so even keeled and just like the consummate pro and just going to keep playing and no matter the circumstance and be everything you want in a locker room. And he's sort of shaking his head and not as like, okay, you see him say, okay. And he's pissed. And the dunk on Giannis and just again, I mean, he was beaten early in this game multiple times by Kavon Looney. And to write yourself in the midst of a 48-minute game one battle in the playoffs and just get right and start making shots and doing all the right things, um, I just he's, he's an incredible guy, Al Horford. And uh, I, I don't know. I just – the Celtics' odyssey has been something else this year. Their resilience, their toughness. And I kept saying that, you know, you're talking about the Jimmy Butler three. And their record, what were they, 13 and 22 in, quote, clutch time games. And even in the playoffs, they're two and four, I think, in those clutch time games. And I'm and looking at every break and talking to Kesty and PJ and going, all right, like, yes, they've gotten this run, but they have been abysmal in these environments. Let's let's they've got to finish the deal. And they finished the deal um, in in emphatic fashion. So, what was your angle on the Jimmy Butler three? Well, I feel like we still haven't. We move so fast in the NBA. I just it, I, that would have been. I just can't think of a worse loss. That would have been like a. I don't know how you recover from that loss. It would have been so, but they completely went haywire for three consecutive minutes. That was a good shot. It looked like it was going. in. what was your angle? Can you close your eyes and see? We need to oh, talk more about that. I moment. can see it, and I thought. Miami's winning as he came up the floor and Al Horford is in retreat. Al Horford is backpedaling. He's below the free throw line. And Jimmy Butler was the guy who got you there. I said it emphatically on Scott Van Pelt's show. I'm taking that. I'm riding or dying with Jimmy Butler in that moment. I can see it. I'm directly across the court. He's coming up the floor. I'm thinking the Celtics season is over. This is a disastrous collapse when you had command and complete control of the game on the road in game seven. And I really thought, and this, I, I always hear Jeff Van Gundy talk about all these pockets in these momentary moments in the NBA where franchises are literally, I don't want to say the franchise is hanging in the balance, but your championship is hanging in the balance. And one thing, one shot falls versus it doesn't fall. And the changing equation because of that, the fine margin between winning and losing, the fact that you do need a little bit of luck, right? Guys, you've got to stay healthy. You know, does your opponent have somebody out? You know, if, if the Celtics go on, we are a long way from this, but if the Celtics go on, then people are going to be chirping about no Chris Middleton, blah, 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 blah. And the hurt, the hurt Miami Heat, blah, 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 blah. This is life in the NBA. This is what it is. Championships take all shapes and forms. Paths take all different forms. Draymond Green said this last night when he was asked about it. And I, I, you know, you, you know, Tim Kawakami, the great writer out here, is talking about is this false bravado from the, the Golden State Warriors, their reaction saying, you know, Draymond Green saying we dominated for 41 or 42 minutes. We feel pretty good. Those guys aren't going to sustain the shooting, essentially suggesting that in his response. But Draymond Green's response was we have to do it a different way. We take a different path this year. So we lost in game one. Like this is the drama of this is what makes this league special. You know, listen, I'm going to Napa today, but but yeah. Sunday, Sunday cannot get here fast enough for me. What's what's give me give me the wine like or what's what's the type of wine you're going to want to sample most? Is there is there are you a Sauvignon Blanc person? Are you a Merlot person? What are we going for today? No, listen, 
So the Jimmy Buffett song, there's a song by Jimmy Buffett, and it says that frozen concoction that helps me hang on. <laughs> That's right. And he's talking about margaritas, I think, or, or whatever. Listen, I am not LeBron James or Kevin Love. Uh, I am going up to Napa to be educated. Cassidy Hubbard has got a spot picked up for a, a, out oh, for boy. us. Oh, boy. And I'm, and, and I'm just going to go out and enjoy the day and try to pass the hours before the real business at hand, which is game two of the NBA Finals. I'm so jealous. This sounds just tremendous. You guys are going to get up to some mischief together in Napa. Remember when um, after the We Believe Warriors upset the Mavs in the first round, the top-seeded Mavs, yeah, Dirk, yeah. Dirk, like Dirk Nowitzki, like went to the outback and disappeared and like grew a beard to reflect on life. Yeah. Yes. If if the Celtics lose that game, like Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart, if or if I'm if I was on the Celtics, I'm just leaving the arena in my jersey, walking into the Gulf of Mexico and just living on a deserted island. Like no one will hear from me, and suddenly I'll like swim back with a beard down to my toes, be like, okay, I figured out why. <laughs> With a five-point lead and 50 seconds left, I drove into Bam Adebayo's face. I'm ready for the next shot. Like, that is a walk into the Gulf of Mexico and vanish for two months level loss. The Marcus Smart three with 13 ticks on the clock in that setting. And I'm thinking to myself, are you out of your damn I'm going. Life? I'm going Tom Hanks and Castaway. <laughs> for a couple months no one will see me brad stevens is going to be flying helicopters over the gulf of mexico trying to find me shopping for mother's day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute shame on you by the way but macy's gift finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for mother's day whether you're shopping for your sister's first mother's day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We should just talk for a second about Boston's defense, which we've been alluding to. After those first 10 minutes, just nailed almost everything. Nailed the switches, nailed the pick and roll coverages. The Warriors scored 90 points per 100 possessions in the half court, which is like a bottom five to six mark in the regular season. The half court, they couldn't score enough on in Boston. And if you want, you talked about the sequence where you said, oh my God, they're shaking. They're passing up all these threes. If there's a defining sequence for me of this game, 
it's it's a three possession sequence that starts at about five minutes left in the fourth quarter. The Warriors try to run their beautiful game stuff. They yeah. run a Draymond Looney pick and roll, which is unusual. Guess what? Celtics switch that. Tatum goes on to Looney. Horford goes on to Draymond. Off the ball, Steph and Clay screen for each other. Guess what? We switch that. Easy speezy. Derek White and Jalen Brown switch that. Then Clay Thompson runs off a Kevon Looney pin down. That's kind of dangerous. The side of the floor is open. The Celtics switch that. Jason Tatum goes on to Clay Thompson and Derek White switches on to Looney. There's a problem though, Doris, because Derek White was chasing Clay Thompson over the pick. He's stuck on Kevon Looney's back. The Warriors are masters at this. They know in that moment we can get a backdoor cut. And Draymond Green sees it too. Kevon Looney sees it. He cuts. Draymond has the ball up top. He throws the pass. Al Horford pressuring the passer, not letting Draymond Green see the floor, deflects the pass. It's a turnover. Absolutely perfect defense against like four different things. Al Horford is a trailing three. Boom, splash. Next possession, you rarely see this happen with the Warriors. They run nothing. Steph isolates on Peyton Pritchard, just kind of dribbles around a little bit. Nothing there. Kicks to Klay Thompson, dribbles around. Jalen Brown stones him. Nothing there. Four Warriors are just standing there. You rarely ever see that. Andrew Wiggins gets the ball on a kickout. He tries to isolate against Derek White. Nothing doing. They shrug their shoulders. Okay, Draymond, no one's guarding you. Here's the ball. Take a three. Miss. You never, that's about 430 left in the fourth quarter. You rarely ever see the Warriors in after a make with time to think about what they're going to do, do nothing, do yeah. nothing, no actions, no screens, no anything, just dudes dribbling around that possession. I watched and I said, Whoa, the yeah. Celtics have, have, have knocked them sideways and they don't know what to do anymore. And the Celtics defense, look, switching against the Warriors isn't like switching against everybody else. You got to switch sometimes early to avoid that kind of backdoor cut we're talked about. You got to switch with physicality. You got to know when not to switch. You got to know when to pressure the passer and when to back off. It's really, really hard. Hats off to Boston. The learning curve, the adjustment period to the Warriors knuckleball lasted less than a quarter and they were masterful from then on. So, so back to your point early in this uh, conversation, you talked about the miscommunications, losing Curry and transition. They gave up six for eight threes in the first 12 minutes. There was a moment at which it looked like Steve Kerr went to, to Steph in the first quarter and basically said, do you want me to lift you here? And I think I, I'm not 100 percent sure, but basically I think Steph played the first 12 minutes and he got six threes in the next 26 minutes and 17 seconds. The Boston Celtics gave up one three to Stephen Curry, one made three to Stephen Curry. What struck me was the number of times where it was inside of five seconds on the shot clock and the ball found Draymond Green. He was 0 for 4 from 3. He was forced to make shots late in the clock. And there were two possessions, and one of them may have been the one you just described. But I remember, and again, the time to talk in a radio broadcast for the analyst is, is a tight window. And I just remember twice saying, folks, you can't do it any better defensively. You simply cannot do it any remember better. The, remember the push-off that he committed against Smart where he just couldn't get separation from Smart? I mean, how many times have you seen Steph called for a push-off? He could have been called for two, but Draymond got called for an illegal screen in the middle of the floor, and, and he was pissed. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and again, a lot of it to me is, is, the, is the size. And then the other one, the smallest guy on the floor for the Celtics is Marcus Smart. But the smallest guy is the heart of a lion and the smarts uh, to, to match the heart. And um, 
Yeah. Listen, we're really excited, obviously, about what you saw from the Boston Celtics, because I think to have a great series, they were going to have to perform well here on the road, and they did that. And now it's up to a champion to respond, and I certainly expect them to do that. Yeah, it's hard to go down. It, it's, it's very obvious, but, you know, you don't have home court. There is a, a tendency to think, well, just take it a game at a time. If we go down 2-0, we haven't lost a home game yet. It's just hard to beat the Warriors 4-5. and five. I don't care where the games are. It's hard to beat them 4-5. and five. They're too good on both ends of the floor. They had to get one of these first two, and now they go for the jugular, so to speak, uh, in game two. 8-2 and two on the road. 8-2 and two the Boston Celtics on the road in the playoffs. And it's it's nice. It's got to be refreshing as a Celtics fan to see them like take a lead in a series instead of having to win, you know, the next game because they never they never lose two in a row. But it, it would be nice to try to win two in a yeah. row. But let but let's well, first of all, Draymond, you mentioned two of twelve, zero of three at the line, missed two free throws when they were kind of clinging to life in the fourth quarter. Four points, five assists, three turnovers, fouled out. Just has has to be better. Clay's got to be a little better. He was kind of quiet. Um, beyond just play better. Uh, I do think, you know, there's a tendency to overreact and say, wow, Boston, impressive, and blah, blah, blah. Like, Golden State's still here. They're fine. They're going to re- they're gonna try their best to rebound, obviously. What what might we see, other than the lineup machinations that we talked about, what might we see from them or what should we see from them in game two that might help turn the tables a little bit? Well, I just don't think that they're going to have these moments where – where they don't run anything, where they allow Boston to take them out of what they're trying to do. Um, you know, they are the hardest team to guard in the half court because of the multi-actions. I just, I just expect them to be better all around. You know, I, you know I'm curious to see about Gary Payton II. I, I mean, Zach, do you know anything that I don't about whether or not he, he is, is going to be able to play? Or are they just sort of holding that out there to be making the Celtics think? I don't know. I don't know either. This is not this is not the time where I'm going to get the best information. Everyone's going to try to play poker at this point. I just think they're going to be better. I think Draymond Green will be better. I don't think he goes two for twelve. I just don't. I just don't. I th- I, I expect a better performance, finishing in opportunities, not necessarily making threes. Um, although one thing I will say is I felt like Draymond Green was more. There were times in this playoff run, and you, you correct me if I'm wrong, where remember the best year he had, he was making some of those threes, and he certainly was willing to take them. I felt like I've seen glimpses of that Draymond in this run-up. Am I out of my mind on that? He's made some big threes. I just think that Draymond is gone forever, the one who hit all those threes in Game 7 against the Cavs in 2016 when they lost and, and all that. I just think that, guy's, that, that was a one-year jump shot fluke and – we're never going to see that guy again, and most of his threes are going to look like they did in in game one. And, and by the way, that's fine. He does a lot of other great things, and he knows better than anyone how to leverage you ignoring him into getting shots um, for his teammates. Um, some things that I'm going to look for for the Warriors that I want your thoughts on. I was surprised how often they gave the switch of Curry onto Tatum and Poole onto Tatum when we just saw them against Luka do so well with Steph hedging out and Correct. recovering. And I don't think it k- killed killed them. Like Tatum was just 3 of 17. Steph is is pretty physical now in his uh, in his late prime, so to speak. Uh, he'll body up people as best he can and, and force a couple of tough floaters. The help from the Warriors was aggressive and there. 
But the help has much less distance to travel when Robert Williams is in the dunker spot and Al Horford is in the corner behind him than it does when there's only one of those guys on the floor and all of a sudden the floor is better spaced. I wonder if we'll see them try to get under more smart Tatum pick and rolls when smart is the ball handler. Now Tatum's become very good at kind of bulldozing his way down and forcing that switch, but maybe more hedging, more going under. And I thought I was surprised when the Warriors went small. I thought one of the benefits of that to them would be they had a little more freedom against Boston small lineups. If they were both small, that they would have a little more freedom to play around with who Draymond Green guarded. Like we could put Otto Porter on Al Horford and have Draymond on Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart or something like that. I thought we might see that, and I think we might see it in game two. I think you'll see more Draymond on Jalen, that's for sure. To your point about uh, uh, Steph on on Tatum, there were two plays in particular, back-to-back possessions, where he catches it sort of, you know, Steph battles him, he catches it mid-post area. Um, I, I feel like he forced one tough shot and forced him to become a passer. So to your point, I absolutely think you're going to see more uh, Draymond on Jalen. And, uh, and you made a great point. Like Steph was really good hedging out and then, you know, being clean there to get the matchup they wanted um, defensively. Um, so, yeah. And I agree with you about Looney. If Poole can't play, he is your fifth best guy. And, uh, and just how funny is, first of all, a shout to, to Kavan because Steve Kerr said early in the year, and he's hundred percent right. I had, I had had a golden state game and I sort of, I described Kavan Looney as, as really solid defensively. And Steve Kerr in a, in a interview said blank, basically blank that the guy is, you know, and he went on and on about how smart Kavan Looney is. And to, to Kavan's credit, he's, he's rebounded at a higher rate. He's finished at a higher rate than he's ever had. And he probably doesn't get enough credit for what he does defensively. Um, and the other thing is I am anxious to see Jordan Poole's response. I am. I, I, this guy, he earned the trust of those two guys, Steph and Dre in that, in that 15 and five and in the play in game against Memphis. And I was stunned at how young he looked. I do expect him to play better in his minutes. Well, in going through all of those, who's the fifth guy options, you know, Porter, Iguodala, aside from Looney, who we know is going to start at center when they go small, you know, will we see Peyton? Will we see Moody? I just, this is a very dumb aside. I miss Juan Toscano Anderson. I was kind of surprised he didn't, he just completely fell out of their rotation in the regular season because I think he's actually good. Probably too late to play that card. Damian Lee is, I guess, now a, a deep bench guy. In going through all those options, what I came to in the end was defense aside, not defense aside, but we know what the defensive issues are. They're just going to need Poole to win the series. And I don't know if that means they've got to get braver. Not, not Braver is the wrong word because it's not like they're not brave. But if they've got to just sort of play that pool party lineup a little bit more and see how bad it gets defensively versus how good it be, can be offensively or just mix and match so he's out there more with their best players. And going through those options, I just I'm like they're just they're just point blank. They're just going to need him 
they're just going to need him to win the series because Boston is that good. And if that if Jordan Poole's just not good enough to play in this series, not he's going to play in this series. I mean, we're being sort of you know uh, a flip saying that. Um, but if he's not good enough to be trusted to play 25 or 30 minutes or f- whatever, and he's going to get exploited defensively and going to be a net negative, then, you know, I think, I think then he's just maybe not as good as he looked in the regular season when the competition gets elite, elite, elite. Cause you go through all those answers and I'm like, eh, those are all fine kind of stopgap answers, but they just, they're going to need Jordan Poole. I refuse to believe that he's, he's just not good enough. I, I just, it feels like you have to trust what you saw with your eyes through the run. And, um, and I, I am on the side that he's going to be good enough. I just don't expect him to go two for seven, four turnovers and look as young as he looked. He just, I just, I don't see that. I don't see that. He can't, he cannot be a a piece of tissue paper floating around on defense. He has to show some. I remember saying this on a telecast earlier. The question is, and I think you and I have had this conversation, and these are the things you see early that you you say, can he hold up? Can he hold up? Can Jordan Poole, can those lineups in those minutes, when you are that small, can they hold up? This is the question. This is the question. And we asked it when we first saw it. Well, as we mentioned earlier, like it get, I, I think it sometimes gets it, gets portrayed as like this parlor trick. Oh, pool party, little short minute burst, Curry and pool. No, Curry and pool together with Draymond was like a massive part of their turnaround. It was not just a random parlor trick. Let's wrap real quickly. What did you think of um, Ime opening with Robert Williams on Andrew Wiggins, which I speculated about on my podcast and in my column and then sort of concluded that it kind of feels too cute. And they came off of it in the third quarter. They put him onto Looney. I wonder where he'll start game two, if it's Wiggins or if it's Looney. What did you see there that you liked and you didn't like? I mean, I get the idea of it. I talked through it before the series. I think there's some smart reasoning behind it. Obviously, the Warriors are going to try and attack it with Curry, Wiggins, pick and rolls and sort of test them out that way. And I think the idea of it is, you fine, you do that. You run Curry, Wiggins, pick and rolls. In the starting five, that means Looney and Draymond are somewhere behind the play, so your spacing is not going to be great. Not going to be as good as it would be if one of those guys were screening for Steph. But what did you think of it and how and how um, the Warriors responded to it? It's funny because one thing I've said throughout the course of this run for the Celtics is, and I thought you saw this on display in the Miami series, particularly in game seven where, you know, Robert Williams bumped his knee early and just didn't move the same the rest of the way. You know, you've talked about how the defense elevated as soon as they made the switch to putting Robert on the wings and letting him roam around. And even Steve Kerr prior to game one said, because I asked Steve Kerr this point blank, you know, basically, what do you expect? What does it look like if he's healthy versus not? And he said, listen, just what you said, we're going to put him in the screening action if he's guarding a wing and we're going to play out of that and we're confident about what we'll get. And it's, and I had read your preview after interviewing Steve and I saw the line about, having him guard Wiggins is, could be too cute. And I just smiled because I asked him, who's he going to check to start? And he said, Wiggins, I just put a big smile on my face. It goes back to your point. I think, you know, like Celtics downsized, who's the big, if Al Horford's shooting it the way he is, how many minutes does Robert Williams get moving forward? 
I do think they may go back to the Kavan Looney matchup as opposed to that uh, with, with Robert Williams. Um, and again, you know, the beauty is, you know, you can probably do both as long as Robert's getting two days between. And so he can be at that point of attack. If there is the pick and roll with Wiggins and Curry, is he Robert who can move laterally? He surprises people. I think he surprises people with his ability to be in the middle of the paint, shading off a of Wiggins and still get out and contest a shot. I mean, I don't know how many threes he's blocked this year, Zach, but it's quite a few. Um, so I think that's the beauty of the Celtics is you can move all these parts and pieces around um, and adjust on the fly. I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know. I, I would start him on Looney. This, Me too. This, I would start him on Looney, but I don't know what he may going to Well, do. the interesting thing is, regardless of who Robert Williams defends, in the second half they started doing the thing where the Warriors would call his guy up for a pick and roll and the Celtics would switch him out of it in the middle of the play, so before the pick actually happens. Yeah. Yep. And then the Warriors would say, okay, so you switched him over there. We'll just bring that other guy up so you're still involved. The dangerous thing about that against the Warriors is when you play that kind of mix and match, then you get caught up in, okay, are we trying to get back to our original assignments now or are we sticking with these? And the Warriors move so fast that if you're confused for half a second, all of a sudden one of the Splash Brothers is going to be launching an open three. So I, I would I would keep an eye on that. And I say this, I say the following I'm cursing myself saying this. Daniel Tice is probably going to score like 14 points on 7 of 7 shooting in game two. I just don't understand why he continues to play. I know he made a shot last night. He made a, Did he make a three? Was it a long two or it was a three? Um, he made a three. Yeah. I'm with uh, you. I was I, I just, I just don't get it. The Celtics, the Celtics love Daniel Tice. They just, they just can't get enough of Daniel. Daniel Tice... If Daniel Tice gets traded in the next 18 months, they will trade back. They will trade for him back like six months later. I just don't get why he's playing, especially if you're going to go small a lot. But hey, look, hats off to him. He made a shot. Um, DB, I will see you soon. If you go, if there's a pizza, pasta, wine, yeah. just let, just keep me in. I, I, I'm not, you know, the Napa wine tasting with Cassie, that could get out of hand. I don't know if I want any part of that. <laughs> But the pizza, pasta, post-game wine, I want – and I want PJ Carlissimo to be like really, really gruff and telling old stories about Seton Hall and 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 whatever, Terry DeHair and stuff like that. Can we make that oh, happen? Shoot. Terry DeHair, that guy could shoot it. He was electric. Are you kidding me? Uh, John Morton. Oh, yeah. PJ's got all the stories. And we would love for you to join us in our post-game pizza, pasta I promised myself, I literally said to Mark Kester, I said, I'm going to be so disciplined. I'm going to have a protein and a salad <laughs> before we even sit down, like four, four pizzas to send on the, the table. I take one sip of wine and everything went out the window. No, you can't. You put pizza in front of me. I, it's, a, it's a debate in my house because once you have kids, see, I didn't realize this. Your pizza frequency with kids, it goes up like 500%. Because when, when they're all together, when you have an outdoor gathering, the easiest response is like, let's just order a bunch of pizzas. Every kid's birthday party is pizza. I So I've realized I could eat pizza literally every single day for multiple meals. My wife is like, get, get sick of pizza after like a little too much over a couple of weeks. If you put pizza, it doesn't even, when, when kids' birthday parties are like at three o'clock, so I've already had lunch and dinner is coming. 
and there's pizza at the birthday party, I'm like, you're just, it's just entrapment. You're just creating an extra meal for me because <laughs> I, I don't even know what could be happening around me. An earthquake could be happening. If there were, if there's pizza, I don't even care what the topping is. I'm eating the pizza. So you're just setting me up to get fat with a 3 p.m. pizza option. I can't resist it. It's impossible. This is a lot of information. I'm sorry. <laughs> Piazza, I think, is the name of the place we went to. The pizza was absolutely stellar. And uh, and the company is just exceptional. So, hey, listen, I, all I know is I'm lucky. I can't wait to, to, to get to game two and see what Steve and he may have in mind and see what these incredible players do. It's uh, Last night was so fun, Zach. And, and I... I felt like Boston had to get one here in order to make this the series we thought it was, and they did. And you're right. Now prosperity, prosperity has not been kind to the Boston Celtics. They tend to make things hard on themselves. So we'll see how they react from Well, here. I think I I think we both picked Warriors in seven. We did, yeah. In theory, the Celtics winning game one should not really dissuade us from such a long extended pick like that. I did come away from that game one feeling like, ooh, that was that yeah. was a pretty emphatic Boston win. And you can show me the 21 threes and all that, and obviously those guys won't shoot like that, blah, blah, blah. It, yeah. it didn't feel – it felt like a, a piece of information that changed the way I thought about the series a little bit. Sure. sure, I would agree with that. And I would agree with that because of the way they were able to defend after the first quarter. I The mind-boggling mistakes – there's a transition three by Steph where Derek White and one other Celtic were standing right there. And they both ran in the other direction. I said, what the hell are you? It was you Pritchard. It was Pritchard the other I'm one. Like, are you kidding me? Two guys just walked away or actually turned and jogged away from the greatest shooter in history. Of the you know what would actually be fun? It would actually be fun if you could make this like an attraction that you would pay like an enormous amount of money for. In a five-on-five -five situation – I would yeah. want to see how it feels like because you see some teams do this where, okay, so I'm playing the real Warriors and you just plop me onto the defensive team and you say <laughs> your only job is literally ignore everything else happening on the floor. Do not avert your vision from Steph Curry. You, the other, it could be Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, Michael Jordan, and LeBron James. You don't care. Your only job is to chase him around. Do not pay it. I don't care if he's 75 feet from the hoop or at the basket. That's your only job. I Obviously, I would fail on that after one cut by Steph Curry. I'd be in the dust. I just would like to see what it feels like to just – because when you play pickup, you don't just have one job. Like some guys are just, just face guard him 94 feet. I just would like to see what that feels like. I would, I would, I would pay some money to do that, and it would be horrible. But it would, it's very unique. But to your point, it's like, dude, that's Steph Curry. Just guard him no matter where he is. Right. And if somebody's coming up the floor who should not be left – unattended in transition it's that guy go find everybody you know leave everybody else the hell alone oh it was too all quiet. right door, <laughs> doors work that's en that's enough i've wasted enough of your time you're the best to indulge me on this stupid podcast uh the one and only doris burke i will see you soon thank you for your time keep up the great work on espn radio and in all formats that we see you uh you're the best TV. thanks for having me Zach.